Our scripture reading uh, this morning is found in the prophecy of Isaiah, uh, the word of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 62, and by God's grace we will uh, read and uh, study this morning the first uh, five verses. Uh, So give attention uh, as God has given to us his holy word that he might prosper us in all things uh, needful in faith and in life. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. And the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You'd also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said of you forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said desolate. But you will be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. May God bless uh, the reading, hearing of the Scriptures, the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, I suspect not unlike uh, most of you, you occasionally see an advertisement on the television about some paradise somewhere. Uh, Not a word that I would use, but again, oftentimes travel destinations are called uh, a piece of paradise. It's quite ironic to me that they would steal a biblical concept for a secular endeavor, but again... That's the way of modern man, uh, to steal from the eternal, to describe something which is uh, totally temporal. Uh, But I get attracted to uh, different uh, places, uh, travel venues, things that go on there. Uh, We're we're bombarded by these things. Uh, I was attracted by a television program uh, while I was attempting to eat my breakfast about men and women who could afford to buy their own island and you know, imagine what that would be like to own your own island. I don't have a clue. I'll never experience that. But they seem to be excited to be sure. Uh, but when you think about it, you and I know the fullness of the reality of the paradise that's in our hearts. Uh, and our text this morning reminds us to participate in a real and certain sense on the fullness of what uh, that paradise uh, must mean and to experience uh, in a foretaste what it will mean in the future reality. Uh, Again, prophet Isaiah uh, tells us that the Lord will one day restore Zion's status, uh, also restore uh, the love of, uh, of sons, and the sheer delight that God has uh, in us. We begin with uh, the change of, uh, of status, verses 1 to 3. The prophet's going to tell us that a remarkable change uh, is occurring, but also will occur. When our status as fallen human beings will be radically changed. It's difficult, I think, to comprehend that. But nonetheless, it's the clear teaching of Scripture. God will change our status from fallen human beings 
to those that are totally redeemed. I think there's something of a measure of this if you've ever been to a naturalization ceremony where immigrants come to America and stand before a federal judge in a federal courtroom and recite an allegiance to the United States and to its Constitution and different things. I'm not fully aware of everything that their oath of citizenship entails. But I do know it entails a renunciation of past loyalties to uh, kings and princes and uh, uh, potentates or whatever uh, from their country of origin. And then they secure, as you know, a total change in status. They become citizens of the United States of America. And they can do things that they heretofore had never been able to do, like vote in an election. Or maybe when law enforcement might come to a large corporation that their hearts perhaps might not have to beat with fear or anxiety. Wonderful change in status. I've uh, talked to some people who've said that oath and uh, certainly a great delight comes upon them uh, because they are totally different and will experience and participate in a measure of the freedom of what it must mean uh, to leave a land of terror or danger or warfare or whatever the case might be to a land uh, of uh, freedom. But it really breaks, does it not, more importantly upon each of us, because the sun has risen, and we are the sons of God of eternal freedom. Uh, and that is our text this morning. Uh, God is speaking these words, and the content is the marvelous change that he will effect. God says, I will not keep silent, and the parallel, I will not keep quiet, meaning that he's going to act. Uh, he's telling uh, the city Zion uh, that he's going to act. Something of a New Testament the realization of that in one of my favorite verses. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. But I'm confident, Paul says, of this very thing, that who has begun a good work in you will... You know what the next word is? Yeah, You do. Many of you do. Will perfect it the day of Jesus Christ. So one of the great promises of the entirety of the New Testament, that what God starts, he finishes. He leaves nothing undone. He does not walk away. He will perfect what he started. You know what that means for you? To achieve, as you will, a future state of perfection, unknown, I think, in the fullness of the reality of what that means. Uh, but it should set within our hearts uh, a deep joy and delight of God uh, I start a lot of things in life. I will confess to you that many of them I do not finish. Uh, start building a model airplane, and there it sets. Uh, I start some yard project, and there it certainly sets unfinished. Start lots of projects in life, uh, not unlike you. What a joy, delight, that what God starts, he finishes. He will perfect. And here he is uh, telling uh, the citizens of Zion that he's about to act. Uh, he won't keep silent. Uh, more beautifully, that God will speak, and this means action. Uh, the majesty of God 
He doesn't have to go to the gym and maybe bulk up so that he can uh, bench press 500 pounds. All God has to do when he wants to do anything is speak. And it happens because he is the Lord creator of life in eternity for his sons. There's a couple of, uh, of things that God will produce by his creative word. Righteousness and salvation. Significant things. Uh, the joy of, uh, of being a product of God's creation of righteousness. Uh, because it's what we need to stand in his presence. And he will speak it and it will be so. And salvation, what we need, and God speaks it and it will be so. The power of God. The majesty of the power of God. A couple of similes are attached to what God will speak. Uh, like brightness. Until her righteousness goes forth like brightness. And her salvation like a torch. Uh, that is burning. Uh, these are uh, common themes that really speak uh, to uh, the majesty of God. Isaiah chapter 9 uh, <clears throat> and uh, in verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. But the God will shine upon us because God can create light. Uh, it is, I think, a a, a distant allusion uh, to Genesis chapter 1, God speaks. It was dark and God speaks and there was light. Uh, that uh, we will enter eternity as the sons of God and uh, he will speak and we will shine like the brightness of, uh, of the noonday sun August afternoon in Oklahoma. Uh, majesty of God. The reference to the burning torch is... Uh, Something of a favorite of mine. It comes, uh, word is used, concept is used in uh, uh, the book of Genesis in the 15th chapter. Uh, I mean, you know the account, I'm sure. Uh, God is going to make a covenant with Abraham. And uh, he puts uh, Abraham to sleep. Uh, two animals have been cut as a reminder that uh, whoever makes a covenant with God, uh, if he doesn't keep his word, God will cut them in judgment. That's why he puts him to sleep. A remarkable testimony of the grace and mercy of God to his children, meaning that God will fulfill the covenant, uh, enabling them to fulfill. And then a burning torch moves between the animals. A reminder of the presence of God and all of its uh, uh, majesty uh, that he seals the deal for us by his grace and the burning torch, reminder of his presence, uh, the hope of any of us. Uh, and so again, uh, our salvation like a torch that is burning, uh, reminder of, uh, of what God will do for us and in us uh, by his power. And the effect will be so manifest that Isaiah says, again, God is speaking in the prophet, uh, that the nations and their kings will see it. The change in righteousness and glory will be evident and overwhelming. Uh, the world will know that God has set his affection upon us. Uh, remarkable evidence. His victory is draped over us in the glory of God. And this too is a reflection of the majesty of God. Uh, Psalter uses, uh, uses these 
these very words uh, of, uh, of God in the 97th Psalm, in the 6th verse. Uh, Psalm 97, uh, verse 6. The heavens declare His righteousness and all the peoples have seen His glory. And then it will be draped upon us. Imagine the change. Imagine what it must mean to have a measure of eternity in our hearts and then for paradise to fall upon us in the fullness of the glory of our great God. That we will be made over in the very likeness of the reflection of the image of God. It all means, of course, dramatic change. The reality of paradise uh, but you and I know the, the theology of it. It means that the entirety of the curse and all that that means will be totally reversed as sons of God. It's been set in motion in an inaugurated sense, but it will reach, of course, its terminal fulfillment uh, when God comes uh, for us, claim us for Himself. Again, it's a change of status. Uh, captured in the words of the prophet Isaiah, uh, and you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. Uh, a renaming of the city, which I think, again, is a figure of speech, uh, substituting the city for the citizens uh, of the city. Uh, I've always loved the words of the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3, that our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, said this before, I think it's so remarkable in this great context of this great debate we're having in our country about citizenship. You know, I mean, in so many respects, it's, it's chump change compared to the fact that you and I are citizens of a heavenly city and that we are going there and it will come for us. And that citizenship is irrevocable, can never be changed because of the covenant that Christ uh, made uh, with the Father and the Spirit to secure our redemption. I mean, I understand why people want to come to America. I get that. Maybe we ought to remind him that there's a better place to go, a better place to, uh, uh, to have a stake in citizenship, namely eternal Zion. Uh, we belong to a different city. It, it owns us, and we ought to live like it, of course. Uh, the changing of a name in the Scripture is a reflection of identity, character, and status. Our status will be changed forever. There's a number of reflections of this in our old country. I don't know if you've ever been to England. Uh, there's a city in England called York. city in America called New York. A reminder. Change in status, different location, great separation of the Atlantic Ocean. Place in England called London. I think there's a city in Connecticut called, called, called New London. Reminder, again, of the old coming to the new world. But there's one, there's one incredible explosive place uh, that speaks to all of us in terms of the change of a name. It's in the last verse of the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 
Ezekiel chapter 48 and verse 35. Description. The city of Zion. The city shall be 18,000 cubits round about. And the name of the city, pay attention to this. The name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. That, my friend, is incredible. That God has set His presence in our hearts. But that we will one day enter the eternal Zion and the Lord will be there. And that will be the name of our city. That the Lord is there. Certainly in a measure is a, is a way to uh, witness perhaps to people. I mean, if I was born in a lower caste in the city of Calcutta, India, I would long to come to America. Probably never be able to come here. But there's a greater longing to the city where God dwells and God lives and God makes perfection and God fills the heart and God changes all of His people to everlasting glory. And the total effects of the curse utterly wrung out. Imagine that. To no longer catch colds. No longer have to go to a doctor and get a pneumonia shot. I got my doctor begging me to go get a shingle shot. He said, but, but it's never ending. It's like going to your mechanic. There's something always wrong with a car. I go to my doctor and there's always something wrong. Not in the city that God will rename. The Lord is there. Our hearts ought to beat for that. Ought to radiate to that. Ought to be always about us. God will be there. Reminder of the change, total change in status. Of course, the other reality that comes to us is terminal point is uh, John, as you know, oftentimes alludes to or quotes the prophecy of Isaiah. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him, pardon me, upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven for my God in my new name. Not latitude and longitude in the Middle East. It comes out of heaven. Again, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 4. God writing His name upon us. And they shall see His face and His name shall be upon their forehead. Meaning that God claims us. Makes us over. That John is alluding to Isaiah indicating a future fulfillment in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, as a reminder that uh, that's where you and I are going. Contextually, this blessing is accorded, of course, in the book of the Revelation, pardon me, yes, Revelation, uh, to those who forsake compromising with idols. So the application of that is really profound. How do you get this new name? Uh, well, of course, you come to Christ as your Savior, uh, but uh, you forsake idolatry. If you look again back in Revelation chapter 3, uh, the 8th verse, Jesus says, I know your deeds. Behold, I put before you an open door and no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. 
You can see the illusion there in an antithetical sense. Uh, but the promise of it is incredible. Because you didn't deny my name, I'm going to give you my name, God says. Remarkable. Remarkable. Oftentimes people want new names, don't they? Certainly brides want new names. Perhaps not as much as uh, they did 40 or 50 or 100 years ago, but nonetheless, uh, people desire new names. You and I desire the name of God upon our foreheads. This certain heartbeat of, uh, of the changing of our character. Uh, we won't deny the name of God because we desire His name. And so it should be. Uh, we oftentimes use the phrase a marriage uh, made in heaven, uh, but reality of that comes to those who believe upon Christ as their Savior. Uh, again, a reminder of the reward of perseverance that we don't deny His name, and so He renames us uh, as His own. The change in status is also reflected in appearance. Verse 3, you also will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Imagery, of course, speaks to royal dignity and, and, and honor. We are the crowns of God. Our appearance will be totally changed. Uh, I'm not unmindful in our culture. Appearance is a really big deal. my case, it's always getting worse. But, but here again, that God... God will make us over in the greatest appearance of all time, a crown of beauty in the hand of God. Notice the phrase, in the hand of God. Uh, what's in His hand can never, never be lost, never forsaken. A crown of beauty. Can you imagine the billions of dollars we spend every year in America to try to keep beauty alive? Never works in my case, but uh, knowing Jesus... It burns from within and will one day totally consume the external. A crown of beauty in the hand of God. We ought to, again, there's nothing wrong with using the potions of the world, the elixirs at the local drugstore, whatever you find. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we, we should try to take care of our physical bodies, but only, only that we might be better better priests of God and better servants and better witnesses. Knowing all the while we are and will be a crown of everlasting, unchanging beauty in the hand of God. You know, if you're like me, some people, you know, I've had people tell me, you have a face that only your grandmother would love. I'm not so sure they don't go back further than that. But again, to know our in-state, a crown of beauty in the hand of God. Oh, how America loves beauty. But we are truly the heirs of it because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He will hold us and we will be His beautiful trophy. It, it, again, it's meant to beat within our hearts. Our culture worships beauty but it turns away from God. We worship God and we'll get beauty forever. Well, there's also 
a change in paradise from the standpoint, a change in sons, uh, verses 4 and 5, as well as a change in the full immutable delight of God. Uh, second change here is the love of sons for heaven and for God Himself. It's interesting these two verses, Isaiah 62 verses 4 and 5, uh, contain mixed metaphors in the love of sons and the love of God. Let's, let's, let's begin first with the love of sons. Something here of the imagery of marriage uh, in the ancient Near East, but again, in many places of the world in which we live, a, a barren woman was in great distress, and Zion was formerly forsaken and desolate because of her idolatry. God left her, and so she fell into ruin. Uh, but now great change has come, and the former estate has been reversed. She's no longer desolate. She's no longer barren. She's full of sons. Now there are many sons who have delight uh, in Zion as a man would take delight uh, in a wife. It's very interesting that there's, I don't know if you caught this, but there's, there's a change in names here in light of the fact that uh, God will re, rename us. Uh, notice the uh, second part of verse 4, but you will be called, my delight is in her. It's literally a name, one word in the Hebrew text. And your land married. Again, another name. Beulah. Reminder that God will rename us. Uh, power of His love to effect radical change. Uh, the delight. Delight of, uh, of a young maiden uh, coming married. Evoking intense satisfaction of the sons of God for the eternal city. Uh, we... We do that in America in our music, don't we? You know, think of a song like Sweet Home Alabama. I've only driven through the state of Alabama. I'm sure there's wonderful cities that are there. But we'll get the best of all in eternal Zion. West Virginia, Mountain Mama, take me home. I've driven through West Virginia. It's an incredibly beautiful state. Uh, we'll get the full reality of eternal beauty. Uh, the greatest mountains and vales of all of the Rockies, all of the great national parks, chump change compared to the eternal Zion. I have a friend that I knew who uh, hailed from Atlanta. He would, uh, he would always call it Hotlanta. I mean, Atlanta's a beautiful city, but it doesn't hold a candle to the eternal Zion. And I understand, we, we sing on occasion, Sweet Home Alabama, uh, we want to go to West Virginia, but again, our, our music should begin to beat all the more so for the eternal Zion. What it will mean to be there. The delight to have for a city, reflection of our desire to go home and to be home. Something a measure, by the way, of the gospel in terms of what that means. Notice in chapter 60 in verse 11, God describes a city and your gates will be open continually and they will not be closed day and night. One day in this world, the city will be closed to those who do not know the name of Jesus Christ. And they'll be closed forever. For the elect of God who know the Savior, they'll be open continually. 
reminder of the importance of the city of Zion that's eternal. The only passport is the eternal Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will be received, and the doors will never shut for us. But for all who forsake the name of Christ, they will never get there, and the gates will close. If you know not the Savior, what a day to flee, what a day to know, what a day to renounce hope in this world for the greater hope yet to come. May God be gracious. More beautifully, again, is the stated cause of all this. For the Lord delights in you, the city. The delight of the Lord for the city to receive uh, its citizens. The Lord will fill the city with sons and love because of His delight for the city. And He will fill her with sons who mirror His, his affections. Of course, it's all because God is there. And what does that mean, that God is there? Just think of a couple of incidents. I mean, the great healer. We get sick because of the curse. We'll be totally healed. The glorious presence and light of all that fades in this world. A glory that will never fade what we will inherit. Unfading crown of glory in the hand of God. The fullness of beauty of God's people. So the great city, once a poor and forsaken widow, will be married and have many sons. Uh, in the words of Isaiah, your land will be married. The once forlorn will not be full. Interesting that the Greek version of the Old Testament has uh, the land as fully inhabited by sons as a reversal, again, of the post-exilic state. Uh, in terms of 62, verse 5, another profound figure, so your sons will marry you. That kind of grates upon us because sons don't marry their mother, but uh, the eternal city is our mother. And we will be in such profound love for her. We will name her and claim her and desire to be with her. Again, Scripture, the Jerusalem above is your mother. Uh, she causes our new birth. And she will uh, claim us uh, to herself, the greatness of God, the eternal city of Zion. But the point of the figure is the love and pleasure we will have in our eternal home. That God will work great change as we will leave the cities of this world because of our love for the city of God. I've met people who occasionally uh, have a profound sense of pride and joy of uh, perhaps a place of their birth or a city that they visited or a city that they had to leave because of business reasons or travel reasons, but they long to return. That concept ought to be all over us in terms of eternal Zion. The affections of it ought to radiate upon our face because of all that it means. The world, of course, is always trying to cover that over and, and uh, to get us to forget. But we can't forget. There ought to be a surging sense of pride for our city that uh, we go to because we have the fullness of reality that comes for us. Eternal beauty. Unfading crown of glory in the hands of God. 
that sense of pride in the city that has birthed us and will claim us, again, ought to be all over us. In and of itself, the way we live ought to be an eternal witness to a world that's forlorn and, forlorn and sad and never fully gets it because it knows not the Creator. And we do because He created new life in us, in Jesus Christ. But again, the fuller reality breaks upon uh, the love of, of the bridegroom who rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. This continual reminder of the marriage scene, love of Christ for His bride, the church is His bride, the people of God is the bride of Christ. I've been to several weddings in my life, it's always remarkable, isn't it? The bride enters all turned to face the bride. She becomes a center of affection. Everyone comments on the beauty of her dress, the, her beauty. Uh, imagine the love of Christ for His church. I've never been to a wedding. I, I'm sure they exist somewhere. But I've never been to a wedding where the groom was bored when his future bride comes in. I've never seen a bridegroom look at his watch saying, could we kind of hurry it up here in the organ? Just kind of speed this up. I've got things to do. I've got a business deal I need to finish. No, there's a sense of incredible joy, surging affection and pride of this beautiful woman. And you and I are the bride of Christ. Uh, the love of God that uh, will never ever diminish an eternal love, an immutable love, it will never change. the love and the joy of Christ for His church, His eternal bride. That theology ought to surge within us in light of our groom and who He is. Uh, and I know lots of people who know not the true joy of love. We should be otherwise because our groom loves us. had the joy and delight uh, this past summer. I think it was this past summer. I lose context of so many things uh, in some well-known European cities and oftentimes uh, cities and their churches and their town squares uh, are destination places for weddings. Here are all these brides coming out of these churches walking across the city square. Everyone turns to look. I would always clap and joy for the bride, uh, the joy of the celebration. She has come into a measure of the fullness of joy. Everyone turning to look at the bride because of her beauty. Christ's love for us, coming for us, never forgetting us. His affections never interrupted, eternal, immutable. Uh, I, I trust because you know him, he will come for you. Uh, that, that sense that we are beloved of God. So many people live broken lives because they think no one really loves me, but God loves his sons so much so that he will come for them and fix everything within them and about them, recover them totally and finally. 
unfading crown of glory, the scripture says of us. And so the, the church is portrayed oftentimes in the scripture as a bride of Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means the same thing of a lovely young woman on the day of her wedding. For us, that is every day. Ought to be every day. Must be every day. Because we should never forget the love of the groom for us and all that it means. The Apostle Paul uh, has something of this theology in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband and to Christ, that I might present you as a pure virgin. Paul understood that theology because he betrothed the church at Corinth to her true husband. What that must mean. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. An eternal love. Perhaps, as you know, John is uh, the best here. Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Some people see works in that, of course. Semi-Pelagians are always looking to corrupt theology, but no, I mean, verse 8 settles it. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen. God gives to the bride to clothe herself, uh, that she might radiate beauty worthy of her groom. Remarkable. Revelation 21. Again, we've looked at these texts before, but isn't it interesting that Isaiah always has us look at them again to remind us what awaits us? Revelation 21, 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. What God is doing to us, adorning us as a bride or husband. Verse 9. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Verse 11. What does she look like? Having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone. As a stone of crystal clear jasper. Love of God. Love of Jesus Christ for His bride. If you know the Savior, that's you. That's you if you know the Savior. And I understand that we can say that and we can sometimes worry, have I done enough? No, you haven't, but He did it for you. Can I get myself ready? No, you really can't. In the grace of God, what He starts, He'll perfect and He'll get you ready. I understand there's a point of responsibility and duty. But I also understand in all of the Scriptures and all of the duties placed before the church as a gift of the Holy Spirit to energize and empower us. But something of this concept of the surging, coursing love of Christ for His bride ought to beat within our hearts that the world might see even now. Made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. 
promise of the great prophet Isaiah, the very words of God, that Christ begins the fulfillment of this great promise. Because in Jesus Christ, he saves us and takes us as his bride. And he will consummate the ceremony himself. We do live in a world where people, I think, battle over self-concept and different psychological issues in life. I, I get that. I understand that. I certainly wouldn't belittle it. Uh, we all struggle with issues like that. But we ought to have a fuller understanding of the fact that the eternal God has set his affection upon us. And he will meet us in the great marriage ceremony. And it will be world without end of incredible pleasure, delight, and the fullness of the satisfaction of God. Struggle with self-concept? Struggle with understanding that. And I suspect the former will be changed by the latter. Because we are the sons of God. The crown of His glory the object of his affections, uh, the love that will come for us, and all the world will turn and see the bride enter the sanctuary. The fullness of all that the present means because of the fullness that all the future means for the bride of Christ. We should... We should long for paradise. And we should embrace its inauguration in Christ our Savior. And there should be, I think, something of a quick in our step. Lord, hasten the day. Bring us into glory. May we see the love of God and the fullness of the eternal Zion. And in the interim time, keep us faithful, persevering, and shining brightly because of Him who shines in our heart. Through Christ, in Christ, by Christ, and for Christ.